Welcome to Ballers with Babies. I'm Mark Willard. Today we know so much about what athletes and sports personalities do, but not so much about who they are, what makes them tick. What's life like the moment the stadiums and TV cameras go dark? Most go home to their families. We want to know what that after hours experience is like. Ballers with Babies explores their upbringing, their home life, how it's affected by their high profile job, and how that high profile job is affected by the home life. On Ballers with Babies, we talk to some of the most interesting names in sports and find out how they're even more interesting than we realize. And don't worry, diehard fan, we'll get to the important sports questions as well. This is your favorite people like you've never heard them before. I hope you enjoy. Okay, Ballers with Babies, let's get Will Blackman in here, former NFL, a rising star in sports media. But Will, I, I was looking into this and I didn't realize you were playing football as recently as a handful of weeks ago. You just signed in the CFL in July, played a game last month, then retired. What, what went down there? Uh, well, uh, interesting enough, I don't know. It was the whole reason I went out there is one, I was very reluctant to go out there, but I was like, you know what? I didn't play last year in the NFL, and, you know, maybe that's not why I'm getting signed right now. Maybe they need recent films. I went out there to, to play football. I mean, what better way to stay in shape than playing actual football, right? Right. So I went out there and played, and it was interesting. It was, it was good football. It was really, really good football. Um, tons of talented guys up there. I just think it wasn't a right fit in terms of, um, I think just how they how they did business up there, uh, if you will, just more so. I think some egos gotten away with some of the coaches, and I was kind of like, you know what? If I'm going to deal with egos and any kind of nonsense, at least let it be in the NFL, right. not here. <laughs> I think that's fair. What's what's? I mean, without betraying any confidences, what what's different about business in the CFL? Well, just more so. I think so. I, I'm going to give you a quick story. Yeah. So when I was there, if you're on in Saskatchewan, when I was there, if you're on practice roster, you have to partake in one-on-ones, right? That's receivers and DBs after practice every day, which is totally fine. That's all good, right? And then when you're on active roster, you don't have to partake in that. So when I was on active roster, I still took part in one-on-ones because I wanted to get better. The waggle motion that they have where they can – take off from 30 yards in the right. backfield. Yeah. That's a whole that's a whole different ball game. <laughs> so no it is. It, yeah. that, it makes a lot of guys would not survive up there trying to play against that technique, uh that kind of motion. So I, I wanted to get extra time in and work that out. So then one it happened to be like a Thursday where, you know, I wasn't feeling too hot, you know, my legs are beat up because I practiced hard all week. And you know, they say, hey, you guys gotta do one on one. So I was and I was thinking in my head like, listen, I just work my tail off all week you know and i'm not even playing that week which i'll get to again and i was like you know i went inside so then the defensive back coach came to me when i was changing he was like you're not gonna do one-on-one i was like not today he was like all right and he kind of walked off so if you're not playing that week you have to sign a one game inactive right so i was like cool they said go sign it i want to sign it and the the personnel guy said, you look like you know what's going on. I'm like, yeah, I'm not playing this week. He goes, no, we're going to release you right now. Huh. And it totally, totally blindsided me because I, everything was all good. I know me and the defensive back coach, apparently I had no issues with him, but apparently he had an issue with me um, because I didn't understand. every we had When I signed, I thought I was going to be you know, one of the main guys. 
but there was actually a, a three-man rotation at one of the cornerback spots. And I did not know that because I come in one week, I'm not playing. Then I start the next week, I think it was versus Winnipeg, and they come to find out again, I'm, I'm not playing. So I actually, in one of the meetings, our defensive back coach said, if you guys have any questions, please ask. Let's not go out there and not know what we're doing. So I raised my hand. I said, Coach, I said, who's playing this week? <laughs> Right? right. Why are you laughing? No, I'm laughing because this is, I mean, it's bizarre, I think, to your point. It's like, who, how, no, how yeah, how can people not know who's playing? You got to, you got to let guys know where they stand. No, it's a mystery. It's almost like they didn't want to hurt someone's feelings. It's right. a mystery. It was a mystery. Every, well, all adults. So I raised my hand in the meeting, in the defensive meeting, not defensive, this is a defensive meeting. I raised my hand and said, coach, who's playing this week? And he looks at me, he goes, he says, you know what it is. Like kind of, you know, took a jab at me. I was like, I don't know. That's why I'm asking because no one told me if I'm playing or not. He goes, Well, if no one spoke to you, then you know what it is. So it was all. It was almost like he wow. felt challenged that I asked him that question in front of the group. Which I'm like, We're all adults here. Why can't I ask you? And that's a genuine question. Like, who's playing? And <laughs> let us. And yeah, tell right. the group like who's playing. If I'm not playing, am I gonna be happy about it? No, but at least I know in advance, so I'm not. So that's what I'm saying, though. So it just where I was like, man, you know, no one's no one's playing in the CFL for the money because yeah. you're not. You're, which is a shame because those guys put their bodies through madness and they deserve way more. But they're making a tenth of what you know we make in the NFL. Yeah. You go up there because you don't you don't have a choice. Man, you know, yeah, no, on the, on the on, yeah on the team, Matt Elam's there. He's a first round pick for the Ravens, but he's on the team. You know, no, he's suspended from the NFL right now. So, sorry for that long deal. No, no, no. A- that's interesting. <laughs> I, that's see, that's the kind of stuff I I, I wouldn't have known. And and uh, you're right on on two fronts. One, it explains a lot in terms of why uh, maybe your trip up there and that of others was so quick. Um, and two, you know, yeah, the the exact same thing we talk about in football and NFL and the dangers and 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 the head trauma and everything. It exists there too, without the money. To back it up. So that's, I think that's a, a fascinating story. Uh, Will, let me run through your Twitter bio info and, and it can lead us to a few different things. So NFL Network now, NFL vet 12 years, Super Bowl champ, uh, BC grad, wine geek, husband, and father. And there's a lot of good stuff in there. Uh, let's break it down <laughs> with the, let's break it down with fatherhood first. How many kids do you have? I have two. Oh, we have two, I should say. Yes. Um, our son, Ryder, he's seven, and our daughter, Jade, she is three. Okay. Seven-year-old boy, three-year-old girl, and then how about your wife? How did you guys meet? Uh, it's funny. When I when – I, uh, Jermaine Dupree, I believe he was at Def Jam Records at the time, so she was actually a professional singer before she met me. Like, that's what she did. And um, – so we met through a friend. I was living in Florida at the time, and she was uh, back home in California after uh, she did. She had her studio was in Atlanta, and we met through a friend. And I went out there and um, decided, we talked on the phone for a while first, and then I finally decided to go out there and hang out with her. And uh, it's going to sound crazy, but I I proposed in like four weeks. Yes. <laughs> now so wait ten a minute years, what what happened ten, in those four weeks later. how did you know ten years later i don't i don't know you know what you know what though she just she just seemed like very very familiar like i almost i know her forever that's kind of how it was and it's crazy because um so i lost my mom when i was six years old right yes and so 
um, I, she came back home to Rhode Island and to meet my family. And my dad pulled me aside. He was like, man, you know, there's something about her. He said, she reminds me of your mom. You know, I so, so I think that's what it was. She had a lot of the same uh, characteristics and qualities of my mother. So I think it was just, I think it was just a familiar feeling because I, I couldn't pinpoint like, oh, she's, oh, she's beautiful. She's nice. She's, you know, she's a great cook or, you know, I think it can go on and on and on. But it was just something that was familiar. Uh, that's fascinating. And then what, what about the wine? I'm because I, I I'm a big Pinot guy. I'm pretty easy to please, though. I'm not stuck to that. What's your go-to? Uh, you, lately, I've been on the the sparkling wine uh, train right now. Sparkling wine. <laughs> yeah. So anything champagne, prosecco, okay. moscato. Yeah, I've been all over the sparkling wine right now. I'm kind of all over the place. I actually so I wrote one in there because that that's I study wine. I actually went and got a. Um, I got a level two um, certification from the Wine and Spirits Education Trust. Okay. Um, it's like a, it's like a low, 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 like a very low level sommelier. Um, so I can actually continue up the course all the way to be able to teach uh, wine tasting courses, wine evaluation, or even you know maybe move over to the Court of Masters and get be a master som. So, so I actually did that. Um, and right now, I'm currently in a at Sonoma State taking classes at their uh, Wine Business Institute. Uh, I love this. I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna get in touch with you now. Every time I go to Bevmo to decide, you know, what to buy. Like when we're looking at these, uh, you know, the, this wall of wine, and and they all look the same to me. You're you're gonna be my guy. No, but what you just try everything. That's what I do. I try everything, especially at Bevmo. I love the Nestle sales. That's like <laughs> right. super dangerous. Thing. <laughs> I am with you, man. Five cent wine sale. I will pull over when I see that thing. Okay. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, I want to I want to read a quote from you and hear a little bit more about it. You said, uh, in this industry, you're going to be in different cities and different places. The one constant is going to be family. It's really important to keep them in the forefront. Make that your purpose and make that your why and why you do things. How have you gone about doing that and sticking to that in your life? Well, because for for me, um, I always football has always been like what I worship. However, football went. However, my career went. That's how I went. You know, uh, in terms of like, if football was going really, really well, then life was great. You know, that was that was the whole deal for me. But when football wasn't going well, um, that that was, you know, probably the end of the world for me. You know, so going back to when I mentioned how my mom passed away when I was six, well. The next day, I think I, you know, I went up and signed up for football. Mm. So for me, football was kind of like my, my go-to, my outlet for everything, you know. And then, you know, even coming into later now in life, you know, playing NFL, when football wasn't going well, then I had issues with that. And I kept missing the fact that, man, my my outlet is right here in front of me. It's my family. It's my, like, our kids. It's, you know, my wife. It's you know, my dad, you know, the man above. So um, no matter where I went, that's the cool thing. That was the cool thing about my wife, Shauna, is that no matter if I had an injury, if I had, a, if I'd been cut, if I'd been released, if I had a, a split in my contract, if I didn't get picked up, like she was like solid, you know, it wasn't like, Oh, what are we going to do now? Where are we going to go? She's the one, I'm the one, like, what are we going to do now? Where are we going to go? <laughs> <laughs> 
she was like, we're going to go here. This is what we're going to do. This is, yeah. she always had a plan. She was always ready. And she was, just, she's super solid and just, just unreal. Um, that's what I mean. She, she has never changed. Uh, my kids, have, they have never changed. Whatever, whatever was going on with daddy, they were ready to roll with it. So that's what I meant is like, you, you're going to, you're going to be on different teams. You're going to do with different personalities. Every team is going to do what's best for the organization. So it's going to continue to go on with or without you. That's just what it is. You mentioned, you know? yeah, you mentioned, so the, uh, the day after your mom passes away at age six, it was the next day you signed up for football. So do you tie those two things together? Like, are they related? Was one what caused the other? I think one was just kind of like, once I played football and, you know, I was good at it and, uh, it got to the point where no matter what I dealt with in life, once I went to play football, I could, you know, they said check your baggage at the door. I can, I can leave all. I can deal with the worst crisis and still play well. You know, that's that's kind of was my my whole deal, my mindset. But once I was not playing well, then I had nowhere else to go, and that took a toll on me because football was football was my my go to. That was my healing. That was my my medicine. You know, so. Um, that was the deal. Yeah. How how did you keep going in, in that time? You're only six years old. What was the challenge like? Um, you know what? I had I had my older brother Leon, uh, my sister and my father, and um and then we also like my grandma, she lived with us too. So my dad just he just went to work and he just kept like he kept, you know, busting his tail and working really, really hard and he made and we had everything we needed, you know. Yeah, we yeah, we didn't live in, a, in the greatest area, but I didn't know the difference because we were good. We had a house, we had food, I had toys, I had video games, I had friends, you know. I had the clothes I wanted and the shoes that I was able to get. So, um, for me, I, I still had a, a great childhood. Uh, my father was a amazing father, amazing parent, uh, still. So. Family, once again, the same concept. Family kept me going even yeah. then, and I don't realize it until now. You know, you talk so. about having a great childhood. Uh, I know that coming from Rhode Island, you have often spoken of feeling like an underdog, uh, that getting out of there was, was hard. Why did you feel that way? Well, I mean, not to say the obvious, we are in a small estate yeah. you know, yeah. in the country. So I, I knew no one came to watch us. Um, no scouts came, uh, college scouts that is, and no you know recruiting websites and all that. But um, my father and I, we just took it upon ourselves. It wasn't such a huge mission, like oh, you know, they're doubting us because I didn't, I didn't never care what anyone else thought. It was more so like I have a, I have a plan, I have a mission for myself. So I remember we went to a Holy Cross camp, Holy Cross uh, college, college camp, and I did horrible there. I think I was about 13 years old. Did terrible. And I was like, man, this this can't be it. I know I'm a good player. So then my brother was a student at the time at uh, Boston College, and his roommate was a graduate assistant. So he's like, hey, your brother might want to check this out. So uh, my brother Leon brought it home, uh, gave it to our dad. And, you know, my dad was like, you know, let's check this out. So he wound up enough money to go to this camp. And at 14, turned to 15, I, I walked away from that camp with a scholarship. So that was my very first scholarship with Boston College. Hmm. And after that, I mean, it just it just took off because I'm sure people are like, well, who the heck is this kid from Rhode Island that this Division One college just offered, you know? So, and then every time they showed up, you know, I I I get what they wanted. So that's how it happened for me. 
How, how do you think that experience, you know, having to, uh, to fight maybe a little bit harder to get noticed, how do you think that's ended up shaping the rest of your life and career? Trying to get noticed? How does it shape up? Yeah, just growing up, as you said, small estate. You know, the eyes aren't going to be there. You're going to have to go maybe a few steps further than other people in order to get noticed, get attention, get to where you want to go. Yeah, well, you know, for me, it's more so it's just um, just I always, if someone asked me, what's one word that can describe you? And I always thought about this my whole life. And, and it wasn't until recently, I was like, you know, for me, it's resilient because I, I, dealt, I have dealt with, I can deal with anything. And I always find a way. A lot of like right now they say, well, the average year in the NFL is two, two and a half, right? Two and a half years, right? Yep. yep. Um, a lot of it is because where everyone gets injured. The injury rate is a hundred percent. You're gonna get hurt. So the the issue is guys' mental state after they get injured. You know, you always you always hear, I don't wanna, I don't want anything to happen to my knees. Like, don't touch my knees. Don't touch my knees. You know. So when guys tear the ACL, blow their knee up, whatever they're done or they come back they're not the same or they're not confident in their abilities and for me when i tore my acl i remember laying on that turf against minnesota at the metrodome at the time and just laying there like damn dude you know i'm gonna be slower i'm not gonna be as athletic and so for me i was like however there is a way there's too much medicine there's too much research there are too many trainers out there so for me i was really i was always really optimistic on and what I thought, I knew there was a way because I always thought I am not the only person in the world who, who's in this position. I'm not. Someone else has came through. Someone else has, um, you know, went through trials and triumphs. So that was my whole thought. So I feel like no matter what it is, I, I'm, I can, there, there's always light at the other end of the tunnel, no matter what it is. By the way, uh, there's so many torn ACLs, and I don't know if I've ever asked. I talked to a lot of athletes. I don't know if I've ever asked any of them this. What does that feel like? Because I know there, there are. It's a serious injury, but there are also probably more painful ones than that. What, what is it like? Well, yeah, because you, there is some where I had a teammate. I think, I think Jordy Nelson and Brett Swain when they were in Green Bay and they tore theirs. They, they got up and walked off. The field. Right. <laughs> You know, because you can tear the ACL and it's not really that painful when you just do that ligament. For me, I actually tore my lateral meniscus and I did some cartilage and I had like a partial dislocation and a bone bruise. Yes. So my sugar honey iced tea hurt. (laughs) (laughs) That thing was brutal. So yeah, that was the issue for me. So it wasn't so much of trying to come back from just the ACL, which is another situation. If we have time, I can tell you about that. Sure. Go um, right ahead. Yeah. So, okay. This is going to be crazy. So I, I had my surgery in green Bay. Right. And when I, when I asked which one I should do, the doctor said, Hey, um, what well, do you, you can do a cadaver and you'll come back faster. And for me, I'm thinking like, I want to come back faster because I'm going to my contract year and I want to play and, and make this happen, you know? So I did a cadaver and my rehab process was, was tough, man. I was just struggling. Just once again, everything I was afraid of was happening. My knee was failing. It was swollen. It was painful. I couldn't do anything about it. So I ended up getting released in 2010 from the, uh, I told my knee in 2009. I got released 2010 from Green Bay. Then I went to, and I'm getting, so this is a funny story too. So I remember I woke up that next morning and, 
my wife was like, I had a dream. You got signed by the Giants. I was like, get out of here. Like, huh. you know, like, what are you talking about? Right. <laughs> sure enough, my agent calls me like 30 minutes later. He was like, well, the Giants want to work you out. Look at that. I said, get out of here. Look at this. I have a prophetic wife. Hey, you <laughs> oh, know what? No. You know what? Most of us do. And, and I don't, I don't, I A woman's intuition is everything. I'm telling you. Yes. <laughs> so we, um, I, I told them, hey, tell the Giants, give me like a couple of weeks because I, right now, don't tell them I don't feel comfortable, but I want to make sure I can, you know, just have some time for myself. He was like, cool. So I ended up going out there couple weeks later to New York and meeting the doctor. It was Dr. Russell Warren uh, in New York. And he, he did the physical and he was able to like move my knee. My knee was so loose. He was like, you like this, this, this might be, this may be a failed physical. Like I have to see, I have to do some other tests, but my knee was that loose. Mm. And he's like, you know what? You're okay right now. And if you feel good, I'll let you work out. That day, by the grace of God, I, I worked out for the team, and I actually I ran really well. I felt good, no issues. So it was meant to be. And at the time, it was uh, Dave Gettleman, who was the uh, player personnel guy, and Jerry Reese was the GM. And I ended up uh, signing with them. But I got the report from Dr. Russell Warren that my ACL technically was put in, was put in wrong, right? It was put in too vertical, I believe. Also, in an athlete, you don't want to do a cadaver because you want to do a patella tendon graft because that's stronger. That's, that's more for performance. A cadaver is like, I don't really need it, but I just want an ACL in there. So I was dealing with that, you know, and then towards the end of that season, once again, I went back to how I was. My knee failed. I actually lost complete function in my left leg. Like I could, I could all, everything shut off. I had so much pain. Like my leg just shut off. So this is people ask me why I always support the Giants and Terrors. Not only did I want a title with them, of course, but when I signed with the Giants, they said, because you have a pre-existing injury, you have to sign a waiver, meaning we are not responsible for your knee. I was like, cool, I just want to play football, that's it. So when the season was over, I met with Dr. Russell Warren, um, Ronnie Barnes, and I think Coach Coughlin was there too. Um, Oh, Ronnie took my waiver and he ripped it up. He was like, you need to get this fixed. Oh, and it was Byron, too, one of the athletic trainers. Right. You need to get this fixed. They said, they ripped up all my waiver. They said, pick any surgeon in the country, any rehab facility, and we will pay it. Even And I was no longer part of the team, and they took care of this uh, the entire offseason. i tell you what, one thing about this podcast, Will, I hear it all the time. Um, when people say there's no loyalty in sports, um, I'm not going to say that there's, you know, a ton of it, but there is some, uh, I, I hear stories like that all the time. Uh, there are, there are, there are professional sports teams who do some good things to people sometimes. No, there, there, there is, but teams, teams are loyal to their organization. Sure. Sure. That's what it is. That's what it, that's what I meant earlier. They're going to do what's best for the organization period. So uh, but the fact that they did that, I, I'm forever grateful. But, um, but yeah, I did. But I did all the stuff I needed to do to get back to where I was. To, so yeah, the ACL nowadays it's cool because it's like a, you know, it's like a long cold. Because <laughs> now everyone everyone figured it out, and now you can solve that. It's just when you start dealing with cartilage issues, that's where it's troubling. 
Okay, quick break to tell you about our sponsor, Green Solar Technologies. You know, summer's over, but you homeowners out there are still having to pay crazy electric bills. Have you thought about solar? I'm sure you've seen a lot of your neighbors and your friends going solar. Maybe it's time you checked it out and discover the incredible savings you'll enjoy when compared to the ever-increasing bills you pay your utility company. Green Solar Technologies has made going solar an easy, game-changing move. Call my guys at Green Solar today at 310-893-0099 to find out if solar makes sense for you. I bet it will. Call 310-893-0099. That's 310-893-0099. Also, GST is growing like crazy and is hiring new ambassadors where, with very little effort, you can make a ton of money. To check it out further, ask your solar advisor at the 310-893-0099 number or go to greensolartechnologies.com slash ambassador for additional info. Continuing with Will Blackman on Ballers with Babies, I, I want to hear more about, is that the only time your your wife has done the uh, female intuition thing or, or is this uh, is this a repetitive story in your house? Um, I mean, it could be, it could be anything. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, no, she just, she just, she's always right. That's what it is. She's always right. So I just listen to her. I think that that's a beautiful thing. Um, I want to ask you this, Will, is the NFL pro sports in general, our society right now, is it set up for athletes to also be family men? Say that one more time. Is is professional sports uh, set up for athletes to also be good family men? That's an interesting question. Um, what do you think? Well, I, I tell you what, I, I can only speak uh, so much on it because I wasn't a, a professional athlete. Right. Uh, but, but by the same token, um, I do feel like there's a culture there that at times will make it tough. And it's not simply the temptation and the things that will come at you guys. We know that. And oh, that's been there for years. That's been there forever and that's never going to go away. But I also even think Profession. like I get, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I mean, right. There's a lot of money. You guys are, you know, in shape there, get a lot of attention. I get that. So that's difficult. But the other side to it, I mean, it's one of the only jobs in the world that for instance, let's say your wife's having a baby. And all of a sudden, they're going to look at you funny if you miss work. That's 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 bizarre. But in pro sports, it's you guys would be criticized if you missed a game to be there for the birth of a child. No, we'd be criticized if we missed the birth of the child to be there for the game. <laughs> <laughs> right. right. I, I, I mean, if, I, if you're if you're in new time, you you try to do both. You try to do both. Um. I don't know that I'm telling you, I'm really stumped. I mean, how have you done it? How have you done it? I mean, that's, that's a better question. Yeah. Listen, it depends on, because especially now I will say no, because, um, the league is getting younger. So it's, it's not the same anymore where it's about family. It's about, you know, uh, relationships, um, what have you, a parenthood, just these guys are getting, these guys are getting younger. So, it's more you have guys in the league who are 21, 20 years old, 22 that that aren't married yet. You know, I remember when I got when I got drafted to the Packers. Yeah, I was 21, but I had 
I had nothing in common with anybody. You had Brett Favre who was there with a family. You had, you know, Donald Driver had a family. Aaron Campman, you know, uh, Kabir Bajer Biamilla, you know, uh, Brady Papinga. I mean, there was tons of, tons of guys there who were way older than me who had families, you know. So, and, and now it's different, you know, leaving the, uh, leaving the Redskins, you had a bunch of young guys on the team who didn't have family. So I think more so family, I think they do a good job of celebrating, I think, like fatherhood in general. I think that's where they, they thrive doing that. I see a lot of guys nowadays, especially on social media, just uh, expressing themselves on uh, being good fathers and good parents. So parenthood, yes. Yeah, yeah, I get what you're saying. And then, and then I also wonder, what about, the bond within a football team. You hear the phrase often, football is family. And I do watch a lot of pl- uh, players as they get into retirement. And, and it seems like in, in this sport, maybe more than others, there, there's nothing quite like the bond that football players share. So do you agree with that statement? And what's your experience with it? Football is family. Uh, football is family because it's like once, once, you, once you're in it, then you can relate to to everyone else. You know, it's it's something that we all have in common. It's like a fraternity, a little cult, whatever you want to call it. Like once you're in, you're in. Um, and we all do try to take care of each other. That's why every game you see the whole jersey swap. It's like you watch a boxing match and the two guys are, you know, destroying each other the whole fight. And then at the end, they shake and hug. You're like, damn, dude, that guy just tried to take his head off. <laughs> Same thing in football, you know, it's like, there are very few guys who are actually trying to go out there and hurt one another. Yeah, you want to make him, you want to give him a good shot and make him feel pain, but you're not trying to end his career, you know. And then afterwards, right, we all come, to, you know, come together, and you know, you see guys meet in the middle of the field for prayer. You see guys take a picture. You see, you know, I used to, my wife used to sit in the front row, and I would bring my friends over who we all knew each other, and they meet her, or I meet their spouse, and switch jerseys and. Whatever it is. So at the end of the game, it's all, especially in the offseason, we all hang out. We all work out together. We all kind of help each other achieve. So that's the majority. Um, I know that you uh, you run a local football camp for kids in Rhode Island. How long have you been doing that? Uh, we have been doing this, I want to say, three Four years? I think, yeah. Last year was the – this year was the first time we did actually did a combine camp. You know, I, I have a free youth camp that I do every year. Um, for ages seven to fourteen, I believe, and um, yeah, seven to fourteen exactly. And then this year is the first time I added a high school combine camp, and I invited colleges there to pretty much bring home what I was able to experience, and that's to be recruited to get noticed. Uh, and I know you know you live in California, but uh, I, I imagine it, it was important for you to do it back in Rhode Island, right? Why, why, why did that mean so much to you? Well, it, I think it was just my it was my duty to do something back home, but I wanted to do it in the way I wanted to. People were like, why did it take so long? Well, I, I talked to many people, and everybody was in it for the wrong thing. Everybody wanted to make be profitable, wanted to make money. Uh, I could have I could have easily thrown a camp out there and let somebody else run it, but I wanted to be hands on. I wanted to find the right people to help me, and I did. I found uh, Deb Weinrich, who um, she actually used to be a, a beat writer in in uh, Warwick um, when I was at Hendrickson High School. 
So she's known me since I was 13 years old, you know, and, and she got into the whole, uh, you know, marketing and PR uh, industry. So it was just, it was a perfect situation. And she's really, she's type A, she gets everything done and she doesn't take any nonsense. So she's perfect for that. So it was extremely important to bring home what I went through because there was nothing there. You had guys training, you had guys camp, but I'm like, man, I have all, I probably have, the most resources to help anybody, uh, any high school kid in Rhode Island. So, um, yeah, it, it was really extremely important to me um, and in my heart to get this done. You're working with young players. Are you seeing them start to move away from football, as we often hear, because of CTE fears? Um, you know what? I think it's, it's different, man. Uh, at some places, that's just all you know. That is what it is. It's kind of, you know, I lived in a, um, you know, a lower income area where, yeah, we, just, we play football, man. We don't, we're not worried about that stuff. That's, CTE's been around forever. You know, that comes with the territory that comes with playing football. So I think now it's more aware um, where people are like, man, parents are not letting their kids play football, which is totally fine. I totally get that. I'm not, I'm not going to force my son to play football at all by any means. You know, if he cho- if he chooses to play football, that's 100 percent his choice. You know, obviously, you know he'll know he'll know the risk before he actually makes his decisions. But um, I do I do see it, I do see it. But for some places, that's just what it is. Football is football and basketball and soccer. They're way less expensive to play than it is to play like hockey or something else because. Um, you know, everything else is uh, equipment-wise is, is more expensive. All right, home stretch with Will Blackman on Ballers with Babies. Let's stick to sports. Will, I, I noticed you tweet about sports a lot, like other sports too. Are you a, you a baseball fan? And, and with the Red Sox winning the World Series uh, and where you're from, I'm imagining I'm putting two and two together here. Is that your squad? Yeah, it's funny because I, I watched – I watched baseball, I watched the Red Sox, but then it wasn't until I got to college, um, to Bo- when I entered Boston College, where you know, I'm right there now in the city, so I really felt the vibe. You know, I was like, okay, I'm going to watch this too and really pay attention. It was about 2002. And then, fortunately for me, I only dealt with two years, a two year drought, because then they won the World Series in 2004. <laughs> but I just, uh, yeah, I just stuck with them since then. So, um, yeah. That, that was that was kind of my deal. I, I became a fan when I was 18. Um, and I, I wonder if you can help Dodger fans out. They're upset right now, and there's this debate going on because expectations are very high for a team like that. How should fans feel about a year when their team goes to the championship round but loses? How should they feel yeah, all year? Like, like, is that a successful year or is it a bad year or something in between? How would you put it? No, it it is it is a it's a positive year, but then it's just like, well, we're close. Well, we don't know what's going to happen next year, free agency wise, but we're close. We're still here. You know, it happened with us uh, in 2007 when um, we lost to the Giants um, on a last second field, an overtime field goal to go to the Super Bowl. Yep. We had such a really good team, and we we're like, okay, we lost. It is horrible. It's brutal because we should have won that game. And we're like, okay, we got everybody back next year. We're going to be just fine. And then that's when the whole um, Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers thing went down. So then Favre is out. 
yes, we're happy with Aaron Rodgers, but then you know he he had he struggled a little bit the first year and then caught his win the '09 and then went to the Super Bowl in 2010 and won it. You know, so yeah. Well, once again, it depends on what happens with Ridge. I know Kershaw said he doesn't know what he's going to do yet. Right. You know, which is a big deal. Um, so yeah, you just have to just look forward to. Next year, you can't do anything about it. It's over. I'm easy. I move on things, man. If things don't go well, I'm like, all right, didn't happen. Like you said, I'm like I told you earlier, I'm resilient, man. I can handle whatever. <laughs> no doubt. Um, hey, take thirty seconds and describe Aaron Rodgers as a teammate. He is a jokester. He's fun. He's um, he was he was really cool to me, man. He was outgoing. I'm speaking for me personally. I hear everyone else is saying, but for me, he's super cool, man. He Never big time me. If I text him, he'll text me back. Like it's cool like that. So he's just a real cool Cali dude. Um, is life in the NFL currently fair for a defensive back? Not at all. Next question. <laughs> uh, uh, well, I mean, at least you got out at the right time, right? No, I, no, I did not get out at the right time. It's just it, it is more. Listen, I told you I went to Canada. That was a whole new ball game man if i if i came back after going to canada i think i would have been much better because it, it was way more difficult to cover in canada when guys can run around before the snap uh, you were only with seattle for a short time but if i've got my math right it was kind of at the height of the legion of boom days a lot of talent a lot of chatter with that group what was it like to be in that uh, in that room it was really cool um because i was so curious to how they worked, you know? Were they just a bunch of talented dudes with egos who just went out there and were reckless, you know? Or did they actually put in the work? I was fortunate enough to play with Charles Woodson, who was extremely talented, obviously, but he put in the work. He actually studied extremely hard, which was so cool to see. But when I entered, when I went to Seattle, um, Coach Chris Richard, who was the secondary coach, first of all, he had such great command of the room. All these personalities, and they all listened to him. And I think from Coach Chris Richard, I learned more. I learned more football in six months than I did my first seven years. Wow! Um, just about just situational football, understanding formation, understanding concepts, understanding just everything about the game. And that's how that's how Richard Sherman thought. Richard Sherman was brilliant. Um, he is brilliant. And Cam Chancellor was brilliant. Earl Thomas, you know, he's brilliant too. So they all just they had this great. Uh, chemistry in terms of having football smarts with the athletic ability also with the confidence and um it was it was just cool to see it's funny because i i never i never really played defense because i was just primarily a returner until i i left seattle and went to jacksonville i became a starter and i think that helped me that little stint i had in training camp with them helped me a lot just to boost my career because i really understood how to play football you just can't go out there and try to use your athletic ability because yeah, you're athletic. But once teams find you out and they start keeping you up, then that's when you're going to have issues. Uh, Will, an absolute treat uh, to have you on the podcast. Really, really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for doing it. Oh, I appreciate you, man. Thank you so much. Anytime, man, let me know. All right. Now that you finished another episode of ballers with babies, and I thank you for that. I want to invite you to search for and listen to the history of stand-up podcast with host, Wayne Fetterman, you know Wayne, he was in Curb Your Enthusiasm and Step Brothers. Look, I watch Comedy Central all the time. You ever look at the booming stand-up comedy industry and ask, when did this start? 
How did this become what it is? The history of stand-up tells the story. From vaudeville to Netflix, each episode features special guests like Judd Apatow and Julie Seaball. It's really interesting. It's a bunch of comics, so it's really funny as well. Check out the History of Stand-Up podcast on CastBox now. 